Welcome, welcome, welcome to a brand new episode of the Spiraling Podcast. I think we're on episode number something like 13 or something random. Jason, we're up in there. We're getting up in the numbers. But uh, I am joined uh, by my friend, my buddy, my pal, Jason Holland, as always. And we have a special guest. Again, it's not just me and Jason's boring little voices. We have Chelsea Casciola. Chelsea, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Getting a little stir crazy from the lockdown, but I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. I see you got... Can you please tell us really quick, it is just kind of a random question. The story of the little T-Rex on the shoulder, uh, if you guys watch <laughs> on YouTube, you should be able to see this too. But I'm, I'm just curious, like what... I, that's just such an odd tattoo, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I have a expert. five-year-old little boy and he is obsessed with dinosaurs. And so the tattoo place that I go to, they were random... Uh, $30 tattoos for their anniversary, I guess. And so I decided to get a T-Rex for my son. Oh, that's incredibly sweet. Incredibly sweet. Okay, very good. Jason, how you doing? It's been, it's been a minute since we've uh, since we've been on the podcast for a little bit. We've been uploading episodes regularly uh, when I came and visited you in, down in Houston. But yeah. we're back on we're back on Zoom. We're back on the, the video platform. And hopefully the audio levels are nice and crisp for everybody listening uh, <laughs> instead of us being around a table. But how are you, man? You doing all right? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, just uh, going stir crazy as well. Uh, I think I've yeah. left the house once this past week. Um, so the city of Houston is back on stay at home orders. So yeah, uh, we're trying to be as as uh, as cautious as possible with my immune system and everything else sure. going on with me. So uh, just trying to make it through, man. That's, that's that's all that I can ask for. I hear you. We're all kind of taking those steps. I know my family's been extra careful just because, you know, my brother, he has a compromised immune system. So does my mom. So we've been, you know, we're here in uh, here in Dallas and it's been flaring up quite a bit in this area as well. Um, so we're trying to take all those extra precautions and we urge everybody listening at home. You know, this stuff is pretty serious. So be sure you're taking care of yourself, washing your hands and uh, wearing your mask and doing your thing. So. Yeah, I think we uh, need to have another COVID nineteen episode coming up pretty soon. I so. think so. You know, especially. Uh, you're right. Yeah, I, I have a lot of a lot of people reaching out to me asking questions about uh, mental health and uh, stability during the COVID nineteen crisis. So there's a lot of a uh, lot of issues going on out there that we don't know about and we don't hear about yeah. on a daily basis, other than you know just people getting sick. Um, you know, the domestic violence has gone up. Um, the right. sexual assaults have gone up. Uh, it's just crazy on how much crime has increased because of lockdown orders right yeah that and like what is it like you said the mental health effects on people you know going into a second kind of wave of lockdown you know yeah. so how does that kind of impact somebody especially you know so soon and you know whether whether it's right or not not for us to debate but just kind of you know just the effects that it has as it is you know so um Definitely looking forward to doing that episode. But today we have a, a little fun and juicy topic for everybody. One that is probably not talked about enough, but and one that seems to be for some reason kind of like a taboo topic almost, but uh, definitely a topic that we're going to kind of get into. And let me preface this by saying 
none of us here are experts and we recognize that, but we're just going to kind of give our thoughts and our, uh, our feelings about this, about this topic and maybe some, uh, some t- stories with our experience, um, with this before. So, uh, sexual addiction, right? I know we're, I know we've had kind of this, um, episode has been requested several times. Um, and, uh, so we're going to kind of go into this and kind of get into, into the mold here with Chelsea's join us, of course. And I know Chelsea has had some, um, experience, uh, with this topic before, uh, Chelsea, you just want to kind of, I know we did, we did just an episode with you, but maybe just kind of refresh the listeners a little bit, um, about kind of a brief overview with your experiences. Sure. Sure. So I will preface this by saying I actually have a unique standpoint when it comes to sexual addiction as um, I was in a relationship with someone that identified as a sex addict. Um, And so it's actually um, something that I believe is not discussed about, but I think that there's already stigma um, around addiction as an, as an entirety. Um, but when it comes to sexual addiction, I can't tell you how many times I heard, you know, well, he just likes to have sex or, you know, he's just kind of a, a man, whatever, if you will. Sure. Um, and so it was really hard in the beginning because you don't know what you don't know. Um, and yeah. my biggest thing was I wanted to educate myself about what the person that I was with was going through a, so I could better understand their thought process, their development, but also understand how as a spouse of someone with that addiction, how I could better be supportive. Um, and anytime we're talking about mental health, mental illness, any type of addiction on the spectrum, um, I would say like the biggest thing is educating yourself, whether you're a loved one of someone that's going through addiction, whether you're going through a process addiction, um, education is so important when it comes to mental illnesses, um, you know, across the board. So for, for my personal experience, I was with someone for three years and, and we had a a son together. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was a lot of ups and downs in that. Um, and after about a year, um, I was actually diagnosed with PTSD, um, just because of the extent of situations that I was put in based off of his sex addiction. Um, and even to this day, I'm still doing trauma work, not just from that, but you know, that's a big part of it, but there's other components, but I'm still doing of the a supportive and, and setting boundaries in a relationship, but also um, just allowing that hurt not to consume me and and have a, a grip on my life in ways that I didn't even recognize at first. So, as far as kind of like my intake on it or my specific uh, perspective, my biggest thing is always education. Um, I yeah, absolutely. Think there's not enough of it, um, especially when it comes to sexual addiction. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we, we thank you again for kind of being here and, you know, opening up your story to us and, and kind of giving us a, that unique perspective, and that insight. Um, because I mean, just for me personally, I haven't, you know, at least to my knowledge, I haven't really dealt with, uh, I say dealt with, but I haven't like had the experience of someone in my family or my life that has, um, that has dealt with this before. So it's all kind of, uh, um, educational for me as well. So, um, Anyway, uh, Jason, real quick, um, did, have you had any, I mean, I haven't, have you had any experience with like a, a loved one? I mean, other, I guess other than Chelsea that has had a, a perspective on this? You know, I have uh, several friends that identify as sex addicts. Okay. And it's kind of interesting because um, 
you know, looking in from the outside and having known them for so long. Um, I just recently in the last, one of my friends in the last few months uh, has mm-hmm. opened up to me about his sexual addiction. <clears throat> um, and then I had another friend that uh, actually uh, stayed with me for quite a while because uh, he was going through some pretty severe problems with his wife. And right. um, he, uh, he he identified as a sex addict. And um, that, that, was, that was a lot of his issues with him and his wife was his sexual addiction. And, um, you know, getting down to it and, and I'm, I'm I'm asking, um, I'm asking these guys, you know, what, what causes, um, or how do you know you're a sex addict? And one of them, one of them responded with, with, um, they could not go an hour without looking at pornography on the computer. And, um, my my other friend that he'll be on the he'll be on the show in the next couple of weeks uh sonny mclamrock yeah he's a good friend of mine yeah look forward um, to that episode yeah he um he was telling me that and I'll, I'll, he'll go into detail with with his story but um you know he was he was masturbating three to four times a day uh he just couldn't get enough and excuse me the the thing that what 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 sets what sets sexual addiction apart from addiction to drugs and alcohol or mm. gambling is the human body is um, is geared to have sex. You know that's that's part of a healthy right. healthy relation not only a healthy relationship but a healthy um, healthy part of life a balance of life is is sex mm-hmm. and that's why it's not talked about as much because people are shameful of it well there's no need to be shameful of it um, because sex is an everyday part of life that's how we procreate that's how that's how we grow our families that's how we show intimate uh, intimacy between loved ones uh, with spouses not say loved ones spouses but that, that's a healthy part of life so you you have a sexual addiction where you're, you know, for instance, you're masturbating three to four times a day. Well, you can't just cut it off completely. So you right. have to learn ways to cope with it. And that's what I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking more and exploring more of this topic with my peers like Sonny. And I, I'd like to talk to Harold some more about it. Harold yeah. has a lot of knowledge about uh, sexual addiction. Um, so it, 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 me learning more about it is interesting for me because I'm an addict um, with drugs and alcohol. I don't have a problem with sexual addiction, but it's still it's an addiction just like anything else. Yeah. Um, but you know, with drugs and alcohol, I can be abstinence from drugs and alcohol and not have to worry about anything for the rest of my life. With sex, I can't do that. You know, that's that's part of life. So that's what I'm interested to, to, to hear these guys' stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're looking forward to having Harold and some of the other uh, guests come up on the show as well. This is going to be a recurring topic. Um, we're not going to 
hit you guys with this every single week, but I'm sure that we'll uh, we'll be talking about this more and more just kind of as time goes on. Just like you said, try and, I don't know, raise awareness, I guess, about it for a little bit um, and just, just to talk about it because it seems like it's not really talked about a whole, whole lot. Um, my first question, I guess, is for both of you guys, um, especially because you guys have had friends and, and, and loved ones with this, um, dealing with this. Uh, how do we separate the notion or the excuse um, that most everyone enjoys sex versus an unhealthy addiction? How do we kind of separate those two things? Well, I printed out some material. Chelsea, do you want to answer? So, I mean, going back to kind of what Jason said, you know, sex addiction is very unique in that it's it is organic, you know, it's a part of life. It's just like with an eating disorder. I mean, you need food to survive. Um, And so that was kind of the comparison that I was given when I first started learning to educate myself about it. Um, You know, with any addiction, including alcohol, drugs, gambling, anything on the spectrum, is very finick because it's it's a self-diagnosis um you know i can go into a therapist's office and tell them you know i'm drinking you know a handle of vodka every single day um and even still if she were to have looked at me and said hey guess what you're an alcoholic i still wouldn't have necessarily internalized that until i was ready so for any addict you you can have interventions you can have you know consequences you can have all these things kind of compile on you and it's really not until you hit an emotional rock bottom that you decide you know i need help and you start exploring this idea that i'm an addict so with sex addiction one of the things that i um i never went to any saa meetings which is sex addicts anonymous um with my partner however i did try to engage when he would come home and kind of understand the the, the process yeah. so um for those that have listened to my previous podcast um, that we did, you know, I myself am in recovery from drugs and alcohol. Um, and so I've worked the 12 steps through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, however, with SAA, they have their own 12 step premise. Um, but because it is something that is organic, just like with an eating disorder, um, it's something that you have to be diligent about and identifying what are unhealthy behaviors versus healthy behaviors. Um, and so they, I know one of the methods that they utilize is what's called a circle system. And so you have the inner circle, you have the middle circle, and then you have the outer circle. Um, Your inner circle is what's considered a relapse or absolutely un- whatever behavior, like unacceptable behavior or like you're you're acting out essentially. Then you have your middle circle that is what would be considered dangerous territory, like you're kind of playing with fire. And then your outer circle is what's considered sexy or healthy sex, sexy, healthy (laughs) sex behavior. Um, so I think that it's it's very individualized in that type of setting. Um, you know, some per, one person may say that porn is not an unhealthy behavior, um, and one may say, you know, it is for them. Um, or in the context of watching porn with your spouse is un, is considered healthy versus I can't watch it at all because it's going to trigger me. Um, for for my experience with my partner. Um, you know, one of the biggest unhealthy behaviors was talking to females online. Um, and so we kind of discussed boundaries and kind of set up guidelines as, as far as accountability to ensure that he was not going to act out in those unhealthy behaviors. Now, an addict's going to do what an addict's going to do. 
only an addict that wants to get better is going to actually follow through and, and have the actions of diligently practicing healthy sex boundaries. Um, so like I said, it's really easy to compare to an eating disorder because when you're working with a sponsor of some sort through an eating disorder, you're determining what are healthy eating patterns for you. Um, and you can be on the, the spectrum, you know, of an overeater or what's considered a binge eater. Um, you could be bulimic, you could be anorexic. So there's different components to where it's individualized for just that person. And what I try to always remember is, you know, what works for me in my own recovery doesn't always necessarily work for the next person. Um, You know, I'll have 10 years sober in October year. And for me, I, in the beginning of my recovery, I would go to at minimum one AA meeting a day, if not more. Now I'm a little bit more stabilized in my recovery and I don't feel like that's a necessary to me staying sober. My connection to God and my relationship that I'm pursuing with God is what's essential to me staying sober. Um, doesn't mean I don't go to meetings. Doesn't mean that I don't have fellowship um, or work with a sponsor. It just means that there's that foundation that's been laid and stability. It's something that I will always live with and always deal with the struggle of, but just in that way of my recovery being individualized, I think for sex addicts, it's overly individualized, you know, and and I like to remember it's between them and God and their sponsor. Um, so for what worked for him or, um, you know, wasn't necessarily going to work for the next person. So when I say individualized, I just mean that they've got to determine and be honest with themselves. It's a lot of self-reflection. It's a lot of self-awareness, um, which I think Jason could agree. That's pretty much any kind of recovery that you're recovering from, you know, it takes a lot of self-awareness, but being honest with themselves, you know, okay, I like doing this, but I know it's an unhealthy behavior because it leads to this. Um, so for me, that was just kind of my experience. I'm watching him kind of go through that of identifying and being honest with himself of, you know, it's really not healthy for me to be on the computer after 12 AM. Um, or, you know, this is an unhealthy behavior. So back to the original question, I think it's extremely individualized. Um, for what, you know, and, and sex addiction again is different components on the spectrum. You know, some people struggle with porn, um, as part of their sex addiction. Some people, um, you know, do the online thing or, um, have online relationships or they have an addiction to prostitutes. So it's, it's very individualized in the addiction itself. And so then it becomes very individualized in the recovery process as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Jason, do you have any thoughts on that or a little follow-up? Yeah, so um, this is uh, what have I put in here? Uh, Sightcentral.com Symptoms of Sexual Addiction. Uh, I'm just going to name off a couple of them. Um, Frequently engaging in more sex and with more partners than intended. Uh, Being preoccupied with or persistently craving sex, wanting to cut down and unsuccessfully attempting to limit sexual activity. Thinking of sex to the detriment of other activities or continually engaging in engaging in excessive sexual practices despite a desire to stop. Uh, spending more 
spending considerable time in activities related to sex, such as cruising for partners or spending hours online visiting pornographic websites, uh, neglecting obligations such as work, school, or family in pursuit of sex, uh, continually engaging in sexual behavior despite negative consequences such as broken relationships or potential health risks, escalating scope or frequency of sexual activity to achieve des the desired effects such as more frequent visits to prostitutes or more sex partners. And the last one, feeling irritable when unable to engage in the desired behavior. Um, so it says on the next paragraph, if, uh, you may have a sex addiction problem if you identify with three or more of the above criteria. And uh, Jackson, I can send you this link to post it on the, on the uh, YouTube. Uh, oh, absolutely. As well. So um, I, I, I printed out a bunch of information about it just so I could educate myself more on, you know, sexual addiction. Um, you know, there's this is what makes sexual addiction so unique is, um, you know, everybody's desire for sex is different. Um, you know, a, a, a married couple um, could engage in sexual activity three to four times a week um, as as opposed to, you know, a single single guy going out and sleeping with a girl, different girl three to four times a week. It, it does is either one of those make you a sex addict? I, I, I don't I don't think so. You know, it, it's it's identifying with with several of these different topics that I, I brought up, uh, which which will help you determine if you have a uh, sexual addiction problem. Um, that's just my two cents on it. Gotcha. I feel you. Um, so I guess uh, as we kind of talk about, you know, some of those with the criteria uh, of fitting the bill, what are some of the like the early signs? Uh, maybe I guess some of the warning signs that you can uh, that someone might be uh, going down that path of, of sexual addiction. You know, um, I sorry, go ahead, Chelsea. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I think from what I've heard from my friends is um, the desire to talk to uh, somebody from the opposite sex on a more and more frequent basis. Um, so I had, I had one guy that um, he spent most of his time talking and having sexual conversations with somebody from the opposite sex most of the day and most of the night, uh, it consumed him. Uh, it, it took away from his work, it took away from his family. Um, just having those conversations and then hiding it from his wife. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one thing that any addict uh, puts up a red flag with their family is secrecy. Uh, when you start keeping secrets from your spouse, um, that throws up a red flag. Um, you know, my wife has access to all of my devices. She has my pass password for everything. Um, and I, 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 I don't have a problem with her going through my stuff because I have nothing to hide. But during my addiction, I had a lot to hide. And I would constantly change passwords and keep her out of things. Um, and it, it, it 
threw up a lot of red flags. And that's where my my sponsor, my therapist came in and was very blunt with her and said that he needs to have an open relationship with you and he needs to communicate everything that he's doing, anybody that he's talking to, he, he needs to give you access to it. And that's one thing that kept me honest. Um, it still keeps me honest. You know, I, I don't have any conversations with anybody of the opposite sex that, um, that she's not going to see. So. Gotcha. Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, Jason's absolutely right. And I think it's important to, you know, cause I've, I've been asked the question before, you know, like what makes you an addict? Um, you know, Know, or like the question of, do you think you'll be able to drink normally? And I, I, I want to preface this by saying, you know, any type of addiction is a chemical imbalance in the brain. It is identified right. and recognized as a true disease. Um, and so what kind of separates the two is you take away the substance, whether it's sex, drugs, alcohol, any anything on the spectrum, and you're still left with the behaviors that an addict portrays. Um, and so in my personal experience, I mean, I can pinpoint like the, the moment that I knew something was wrong, um, which was, um, I was a couple months pregnant and we, I decided that I wanted us to go to therapy because we were moving in together. And so I wanted to do the responsible thing of going and talking to a therapist and setting up boundaries and expectations um, because I had never lived with a, a partner before. Um, and so I wanted to be able that, to know that we were bringing our child into a home that had boundaries and was healthy. So we were on our way, getting ready to leave for our very first therapy appointment. And I got onto his computer for something and, and a female had messaged him on Facebook saying, um, send me $50 or I'll upload the pictures um, and run your little family. And so wow. I'm already emotional, like as the person, but I was also pregnant. So like I was extremely emotional. True. Um, and I remember like us on the way to the therapist's office and I had brought it up and it was a lot of fighting and we finally got to the therapist's office and before we could even talk about boundaries or living together, you know, it got brought up and his excuse was that he was watching porn and someone hacked into his computer camera and took pictures of him and was going to exploit him. And so, you know, when you're in a relationship and something like that significant happens, to give your partner the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, whether it was me being naive or me just wanting to see the good in him, I'm not sure. Um, but that was kind of the first instance. And of course, now I know that that was not exactly what happened. Um, but it became every single day, you know, there were more and more lies, more and more secrets. Um, there was a lot of, my favorite term in the therapeutic world is gaslighting because I think it's such a, a destructive thing that, people do. Um, and if you're not familiar with gaslighting, it's essentially when the person that is in the toxic behavior, um, basically gets their partner or their spouse to question their own reality. So for example, um, he would create, he probably had about 50 different emails. Um, cause he was always creating new emails once I would gain access to the password because he would get sent stuff for, thank you for signing up for this dating site, or thank you for, you know, signing up for this app. Um, and so I remember there was one night that I found a new email address that he had had done 
and literally had it on my phone, was showing it to him. And he was like, I didn't create that. Like, I don't know who, who made that. And there was a part of me that was, I felt crazy. Cause I was like, do you not see what I'm seeing? Right. And I, yeah. and it did it made me question my own reality. Um, and so I, when it comes down to specifically sex addiction, I think that there's even more secrecy involved. Um, than than actual addiction or alcohol addiction just because it is a emotional um bearing on the person that they're with uh, not that drug addiction and alcohol that you, it has a different effect on your partner i would say um it's just a very, I mean, I mean, you constantly are going through the questioning of, you know, is it really sex addiction or am I just not good enough? Is it really this or is it because I, and you know, you question yourself. Um, but I think Jason's absolutely right. The secrecy part of it is so huge, um, you know, and I think there's not enough knowledge about sex addiction. And it's something that people, I think, at certain points are scared to educate themselves about. And I still think that there's a lot of people that believe the stigma that, you know, sex addiction is a choice um, or an excuse or a label to behave in a way that society would deem unhealthy. Yeah, I got you. What would okay? So you mentioned going to the therapist's office, and I know Jason. You mentioned certain like earlier, like certain like interventions. Is there really kind of like a key to helping that your spouse or your loved one or somebody that you know that's kind of going through this? Like, how do from your perspective and your experiences, how do you? What's the best way to kind of help them? Like, is it through therapy? Is it through an intervention? I know that's a hard and it's a very open-ended question, but, or I'm just curious. I mean, I should probably, I should probably say that my relationship did not work out, um, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Um, I think I had a very unique stance just because I was in recovery myself. Um, sure. Also because I worked in the mental health here field for many of years. Um, and so I kind of saw a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I kind of, it, it's a tricky question because I mean, I think Very. just as recovery is individualized, you know, I think the spouse's part is individualized too. Sure. Um, you know, I've seen Jason's wife support him in different ways than I supported my spouse um, and that's what works for them. And we kind of went through a trial and error. I think there's, there's several different components. So the first would be, you know, education, obviously. Um, if you know that your spouse is, is suffering from any kind of mental illness, whether it's depression, bipolar, um, any, anything, I think the biggest thing is to educate yourself so that you can understand where they're coming from. Because I think a lot of times when it comes to mental illness as a whole, um, people tend to like, well, they're just using their mental illness as an excuse. Um, when in reality, mental illness isn't just like a switch that you turn on and you're like, today I'm going to be depressed. Um, you know, it's, right. it's a fundamental chemical imbalance that drives every action, reaction, word, thought process. I mean, it, 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 if you're, if it's a new diagnosis, especially, but it, you know, if it's prevalent, you know, it, it, 
takes over who you are as a person at times. So if you can educate yourself to understand why they behave the way that they do, I think that it gives you a little bit of grace to give um, rather than resentment. And so that was kind of my first step was a education, but also, you know, having some grace standing in that to be the spouse that I knew God wanted me to be. So that was kind of the first component. And then it, you know, the addiction kind of launched itself and overnight became very, um, it it went from zero to 60 really quickly, I would say. So we did engage in therapy together um, as well as individualized. Um, and one of the biggest things when you're dealing with any addict, but especially a, a sex addict is boundaries. Um, I was very mm-hmm. clear that I didn't want to engage in any sexual activity because for me, you know, sex is a very emotional thing. Um, and like Jason said, it's a very intimate portion of a relationship. Um, and so, because I knew he was actively struggling with sex addiction, a, I didn't want to put him in harm's way way to be triggered in any way, but I also didn't want to objectify myself to be a part of playing into a sex addiction. So I was very clear in my boundary of, you know, we're not going to engage in any physical intimacy. Um, You know, this is just kind of my boundaries, what I need in order to support you. So we did engage in in therapy together as well as individualized. Um, And when he finally started working the steps, you know, I would try and and ask him, you know, is there anything that I can do to help you or do you want to process this or do you want to talk? And most of the time he said no, which was fine. But I also wanted him to know that like emotionally I was there to support him, Uh, that I acknowledged and recognized it was a disease and I acknowledged and recognized that he was trying to get help. Um, I think those are kind of biggest pieces of it is just even if they are not ready to process what they've done or talk about any of it or, you know, face any of it really is knowing that they had someone there to emotionally support. Um, I didn't leave until it had been three years of him constantly relapsing. Um, at that point it was no longer a safe environment for me or my son. Um, and sometimes as addicts, that's kind of the consequences that we live with, um, and face as the direct result addiction. Um, but I definitely think the the component of emotional support and education are are the biggest keys, especially when it comes to sex addiction, because it, like Jason said, it's it's something that I think a lot of people shy away from talking about. Um, and in reality, it's something that I think a lot more people face than we will ever realize um, because it's so secretive. It's so um, there's a lot of shame that's kind of wrapped around the name of, of sex addiction. So I tried to be as graceful and, and forgiving and understanding and educated as possible. And there were times that I did have to reel myself back because it, I would find myself um trying to be more motivated than he was to do something different. And so I I had to also acknowledge, you know, it's not my job to wake you up when you've slept past noon on a weekday and missed work. It's not my job to um, tell you to go to a meeting. It's not my job to um, tell you to get help or go see a therapist. Um, You know, it was 
it was a lot of self-identification of what part do I play in this and how do I be supportive, but also keep myself in check because when I tend to overextend myself of playing caretaker to the point where I'm telling him to go to meetings, telling him to go see a therapist, telling him to wake up, you know, I'm losing myself and exhausting myself in that. And in reality, it, it doesn't stick unless the person wants to do it and they're motivated themselves. Um, it, it has right. to be a self-solution. Right. It's, there's got to be some there's an internal component that has to come from them. Right. They right. Have to, they had to want to to get better and, and fix some things, too. So, Jason, you yeah. said you said you mentioned earlier some uh, some interventions, I believe. Um, yeah, it's not really interventions. It's uh, OK. There's this therapy. Um, it, I guess you could have an intervention on it. And that's more of a, a question for Harold or Sonny. Sure. Um, I'm not I'm not sure how you go about um, approaching the subject with uh, with a sex addict. Um, you know, other than, you know, I had, I had one friend that he almost lost his whole family um, because of his addiction. So, um, you know, it, it comes to a point where you have to draw the line and set boundaries. Like Chelsea said, you have to set boundaries with your with your spouse and it, they either want to do it or they don't. And that's right. with any addict. So. I hear you. And, and forgive me if I'm if I'm if I'm going over any kind of line, just tell me Jackson, shut up, smack me in the face real quick virtually through the Zoom call. But um uh speaking to you, Jason, kind of, you know, as a you know, as one of your friends, like for uh, about your friend that was going through this, like is there anything that I mean did you ever approach the subject with him? Did you ever like like talk to him about it other than him kind of bring it up with you? Or I guess how did you handle it as as a friend? You know, I I tried to approach the subject, um, yeah. but it, it was just very awkward. Um, like I said, the, the whole sexual addiction is kind of shameful. Um, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And I would be very interested to go sit in a sex addict's anonymous meeting and see what really goes on there and see what they talk about um, just to help me identify you know how to approach the subject with others uh, because honestly I don't know how to do it um, yeah me either uh, but you know the, this this whole this whole conversation that we're having today about sexual addiction goes into a little bit more about what we're going to dive into with um, um, uh, the series that we're going to do for for our friend up in Colorado for Greg yes. um, about um, sexual addiction and the pr- prison population. Um, so that that's coming out pretty soon. Uh, we're working on getting um, some guests for that, but um, you know, this is a subject that's new to, to all of us, and uh, it's worth exploring more about because I think I think there's a lot more people suffering from sexual addiction that we know about. I think so too. I think it's a very important subject, and I think it's one that, like, I mean, just kind of as you said, uh, Chelsea, just education kind of plays a big role in that. You know, educating ourselves about these type of issues, and the more that we know, knowledge is power, as they say, right? So, the more that we know, the more that we're able to kind of help other people and help ourselves and our loved ones. So, um, cool, 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 very good. Um, well, anyway, that was kind of all of the the questions that that, that I had um, uh, in particular. Did you have anything else, Jason? Uh, I didn't have anything else. Stay tuned for our upcoming uh, series that we're doing for uh, the de- uh, Department of Corrections and helping out with the prison ministry. Yes, and, it's a huge topic um, with them. 
I think it's uh, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, in, interesting next few weeks. I think so too, man. I think so too. A little little teaser with the with the books coming out, Jason. We want to get the listeners anything to anything to nibble on. September fifteenth, and I think you might you might have something over there. I got the f- first books right here. Boom! <laughs> Check it out, guys. The first time you get to see it. There's the yep. cover. Yep, oh, so that is beautiful. Yep. So I got the first uh, first series of books that's going out to the media and. It's going to be uh, interesting next uh, next few months. That's right. We're hitting the ground running. It's, uh, it's super exciting stuff, super exciting stuff. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on again and joining us with the podcast and o- opening up your story to us and giving us your unique perspective uh, when it comes to sexual addiction and, and many other topics as well. Um, is there anything that you want to kind of say to listeners or anything, kind of pl- plug your own content, you know, anything where people could find you, Twitter, anything? Um, well, don't follow me on Twitter because it's all baseball stuff that I just trash talk baseball players, but it's fine. <laughs> um, no, I would just say, you know, I, I I appreciate, you know, Jason kind of wanting to bring this topic to light. I know that him and I have had countless discussions about the, the topic. You know, Jason's a very dear friend of mine um, and knows, you know, extensively my, my history and what I've been through. And, you know, I think as I'm actively working through some of the trauma work, even present day, you know, being able to discuss these things was not something that I was able to do, you know, even just three years ago. So, um, I, I just can't emphasize enough, like how big education and grace play a factor into not only sexual addiction, but any addiction and mental illness. Um, you know, it just takes a lot of grace and understanding. Absolutely. It sure does. And I'll, I'll be sure to link that uh, that website that Jason had uh, down in the description below, as well as the um, sexual addiction hotline. If you or a loved one or anybody that you know uh, could be going through something like this and you're looking for some a little bit of extra help, need a hand, I'll put that hotline down in the description below so you guys can be sure and call that. Um, but anyway, that's it from us here uh, with the Spiraling Podcast, episode number 13. We'll be uh, back at it again with another episode next week. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you later. Bye.